Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Today, I talk with Meriwether Lackey, who is the director of summer programs at the Madeira School. There's a saying for summer camp that goes, living 10 for two. This means they live 10 months of the year waiting for the two months to spend at summer camp. The experiences she had while attending her yearly summer camps inspired her career journey. She talks about the inner conflict she faced as she came to the realization that her career goals were not traditional and how she accepted her decisions, which have led her into her current role now. She also talks about the impact of her education and her decision to attend a boarding school as a teen. And we hear great advice for young adults on networking and talks about why loving your job is so important and allowing you to be your best self. Enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today and having this conversation. Uh, We've been talking a bit about having you on because I feel like you are someone who uh, embodies a lot of the things that we are about at TFA. Um, I think you know about our mission and what we're doing around soft skills development, but we're particularly interested in supporting uh, youth development and really helping people at these key milestones in their progression and how we can help talk about and develop and strengthen soft skills. So the fact that you're in a role, you're the um, director of summer programs for Madeira, is that right? And so I think we have a great opportunity to have a conversation about what you do, and then also a little bit about your path to get there. So, and, and think that we have some similar interests anyway, in terms of the communities that we like to serve. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I, I um, I'm so excited to to talk about this. I work at a school. I love youth development. It's like my whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm excited to. That's to talk. great. So let's start there. Let's talk a little bit about what your role is, and maybe if you could talk a bit about what a day in the life is like. That would be great. Yeah. Absolutely. So I um, work for the Madeira School. Uh, So during the school year, it's a boarding school with students from all across the world. But during the summer is kind of my time to shine when as the director of summer programs, we run three different summer camps. Um, We have two day camps and one residential camp. And I'm in charge of kind of making the whole operation go. Um, and even though, you know, I am the summer programs, it is a 12 month position. Mm-hmm. Um, what my day looks like is kind of kind of a really hard question to answer. Um, I work, my, my job is very cyclical. So it kind of changes throughout the time of year. In the summer, obviously we're managing camp, talking with parents, child issues, um, employees. A lot of our, our employees are, from 15 to about 20 for, for the most part. So kind of working with a young adult population in a job setting is a big challenge and something that, that I spend a lot of time uh, doing, but once summer ends, my job does not end. And I kind of immediately start planning for the next summer. Uh, So I have had summer 2023 written on my whiteboard (laughs) since uh, September uh, in prepping for that. Um, We are about to start opening the job applications and the camper registration soon. So things are about to to pick up um, 
as far as like customer service goes, but I, mm -hmm. I really don't have a typical day. When you are looking at applicants, just given that it's about to come right now in terms of sourcing, what kind of applicants do you look for? And do you typically get a good turnout or do you usually have a, a lot of applicants for the programs? Yes. Um, in, in terms of employees or campers? Yeah, employees. Yeah. For the most part, I am looking for somebody who's really excited to be there. Uh, because our employees are so young, mm -hmm. a lot of them, it's their first job. So we're not really looking for experience. We're not really looking for a, an existing knowledge. Um, what we're looking for is a, excitement, coachability, um, and just passion for working with young kids. That's kind of a, a requirement of being yeah. a camp counselor. What were, I, you asked a couple other questions. Yeah, no, I think it was, you know, you, I asked you what, what you look for. And I also was curious mm -hmm. if you usually get a good pool of candidates each summer. Like I know you're a pretty well-branded program. People are, I grew up in McLean, so I don't know if you knew that mm -hmm. about me. And um, so Madeira, uh, I don't know that I ever went to camp there. I think I did the Potomac camp, but I'm sure it was fairly similar. Uh, but I think, you know, it was a well-known name. I certainly knew people that went to school there, you know, in terms of the boarding school. So uh, I was just curious if you do get a fair amount of applicants in terms of people looking to be counselors. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we, It's also a hard question because COVID changed a lot uh, of how summer camp works. Yeah. Um, Last year we were we were understaffed, um, but we do get a lot of high school applicants. So a, a, a lot of our younger people. Um, we've kind of changed our staffing model around for the summer, so we're hoping to be able to reach um, our kind of quotas there for staffing. Um, but COVID has kind of thrown a wrench in the plan, and that's been an industry yeah. standard event. A lot, yeah. uh, pretty much every camp has experienced for sure. My first job was when I was 14 and I wasn't even really old enough to work. And I remember having to get a work permit so that I could work mm -hmm. at the, I think it was like the McLean Community Center. They put on a day camp and I worked for them for a long time. And um, I loved that as like, it was such a great first job. And I feel like, I mean, obviously you have to like kids <laughs> and you have to like working with kids and being around kids. I think in terms of the energy level and the people that you work with, like it being a young environment and you could meet a lot of friends. I don't know. I always felt like it was such a good place. And then, so I worked there when I was 14 and then I went back and we, there was a bunch of us that went back as counselors when we were, I think, freshmen in college and you know, sophomores in college. So it's a great, it's a great summer job. So a little plug for anybody that's listening that maybe is interested in pursuing that. Tell me a little bit about your path to this. So it, what was your degree in college? And is this something that you knew you wanted to do? Yeah, great question. Um, my So my undergraduate degree is in um, sport and recreation administration. Mm -hmm. So I did study uh, camp um, yeah. in, in school, which was awesome. Um, and I am about to finish my master's uh, uh, program degree as well in the same field in sport and recreation. But I did not always know that I wanted to do that. One of the things that, you know, as a young adult, I struggled with when I entered college in my first like year and a half of school was wanting to, to be impressive, I guess is the best way to put it. I wanted to have an impressive job and I didn't think that camp would, would mm -hmm. really fit that bill. But I thought a lot about it and, and in, in being introspective, knew that camp was 
exactly where I wanted to be. I'd worked at camp since I was 15. It was my favorite thing. I, I lived, um, some, what some camps say, uh, live 10 for two. And that was absolutely me as a kid. I was living 10 months out of the year for two <laughs> months during the summer. So I knew, I knew in my heart that that's what I wanted to do, but I struggled a lot, uh, finding the validation in that. Yeah. And then one day I decided whatever, and I'm going to do it. And so I changed my major and never looked back. And what, um, in terms of the path post-college to, to get to this point, how easy is it, was it for you to find, cause this is a gig that's, a right in that lane of, of being kind of in, in sports and recreation. And so how, how hard was it and competitive was it for you to find the spot? Yeah. So after I graduated, I went and volunteered with, uh, for a year with AmeriCorps in okay. Little Rock, Arkansas, um, working at a camp for at-risk youth. So that was my kind of immediately out of college thing. And then COVID hit. Um, so that kind of derailed everything. And instead of looking for a career because nowhere was really hiring, yeah. I decided to get my master's instead. And I honestly think that that degree has opened a lot of doors for me. I applied for the job at the Madeira School um, as the assistant director of summer programs about a year and a half into my master's and kind of did it on a whim, didn't think I was, you know, going to be a strong candidate, but was like, this is great experience. This, this will be awesome to do. At least I'll meet people. Um, if nothing else, I'll be able to network and ended up getting the job, which was awesome. Um, and then was quickly promoted into the directorship in June of last year. Wow. So right before the summer, you then were kind of running the show. How was that for you? That's, that's a big jump. It was, it was a big jump. My superlative that my staff gave me last summer was uh, biggest promotion <laughs> um, because I did, I, I it was a, quite a jump um, and quite unexpected. It was not easy yeah. um, to say the least. It was hard um, interpersonally, emotionally, Yeah. but I wouldn't have had it any other way. When I look back on, you know, the kind of journey to get here and, and everything that happened, I have learned a lot and have definitely grown in my leadership quite a bit because of that experience of, mm-hmm. of kind of being catapulted, kind of thrown into everything yeah. um, and really learned the value of transparency and, and saying, listen, uh, this is week two of this job for me. <laughs> you know, you got to, we, we got to work together to, to solve this problem. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, I often work with leaders that are sort of less tenured and in, in positions that are more advanced than they get smaller organizations. You have opportunities typically to have bigger jobs than you would, let's say at larger organizations. And so there's a little bit of that imposter syndrome or a little bit of like, I'm in a job that's too big, quote unquote, or that I'm not quite ready for. So did you have a little bit of that that you were dealing with too, just in terms of, I mean, obviously you just gotten there, but then, you know, it's, it's a big job. The responsibilities are a lot. Did you have a little bit of that having to kind of, uh, people say fake it till you make it, but I'm curious for you, like what, what helps you, you know, to assimilate and to kind of uh, be able to be successful in the role? Well, I didn't really have much of a choice, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. trial by fire. Yeah, <laughs> fire there. Um, no, I did. I I didn't really experience imposter syndrome in the yeah. typical sense, and I and I think that that is largely due to my supervisor and my coworkers within the Madeira School. Uh, they all worked really really hard to make the best of a bad situation and even when when mistakes happened and they did it or you know when i didn't know what to do next i 
did not hesitate to reach out and say like, Hey, like, here's the red flag. Like I, I need help with this thing. And in any situation I did that people stepped up across the school, uh, so that we could have a, a smooth summer, as smooth a summer as possible. And then when it all ended, I was like, okay, now I can slow down and breathe and think about what just happened. And I was like, well, I did all of that. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't matter that it doesn't matter that I'm 25 and that this is kind of my first ever real job. Like I, I did it. And now I've, uh, now I don't feel imposter syndrome at all. I'm like, I got this. Yeah. We can get it done. It is nice to go through it. And I think also to kind of look back and say, hey, look what I accomplished. And that also is the good confidence booster for what you need to do next time. I think the cool thing about what you do also is that you get to iterate and change and like you can try things out it, year over year. I think there, that's a really cool thing about having a seasonal role where you can have some time that you know is baked in to be able to plan and develop and then be able to execute on that and see how it works out. It seems like it would be a fulfilling aspect of it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I would I would spend every morning at camp last year with one of my staff members, <clears throat> and I would say, what if we did this next year? What if we did that? And get mm-hmm. to throw ideas and mm-hmm. plan already. And it was it was very rewarding. And now that I'm getting to like put that into action, um, it's, it's awesome. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this upcoming summer. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about your connection to boarding schools, because I know um, just a little bit about you through through Hannah, but you're someone um, that's familiar with that environment. And tell me just about that experience, like how, how early did you go and what that was like for you? Because that's a unique experience that not everybody has. Yeah, absolutely. I was a student from a, from a boarding school, all girls, <clears throat> about 140 total people in Southern Virginia. Um, I, de- I decided to go to boarding school um, when I was in eighth grade. And I asked my parents because I was not satisfied with who I was in eighth grade. I wanted different experiences. I wanted a fresh start. I knew that I could be more than what I was. So I did the research. I looked into it all. I made up an entire PowerPoint and presented my (laughs) family with this PowerPoint. And I was like, here are the reasons you should let me go to boarding school. And I'm fortunate enough to have, we have a local boarding school within our community. So for the first two years, I was a day student. Um, so I commute, commute in and out of the school every day. But I was the kind of day student that was like, got arrived at school at 7.30, left school at 10 p.m. And yeah. I just went home to sleep. Um, so my junior and senior year of high school, my parents were like, okay, just go live there. We don't want to drive anymore. Like, just stay. And it wasn't a really great experience for a lot of reasons, but the biggest was um, I was able to foster my own independence and build the habits that were going to make me successful in college in a really, really safe environment that mm. was um, aimed at making me better, um, which, you know, not is not how college kind of can be sometimes. Right. There's a lot of individualized attention um, that helped us grow. Uh, so it 100% is an invaluable experience. And I'm so, so happy to be back um, in a boarding school environment, being able to help other students who are similar um, get that. Yeah. How did, how did you know you wanted to do that? Like that's, a, that's a pretty young age to, to know that you wanted this different experience or what is it that you were looking for that propelled you to make the change? Yeah. Uh, I, I've always been an independent person. I was a very, very independent kid. Yeah. Um, I honestly think I had just heard the name of the school that I went to like in passing one time and was bored at home and just like Googled it and, (laughs) and just started researching. And I was like, this would be really awesome. I, yeah, I think that 
that that answers the question as best as I can. I was just so, independent. I was always that kid. And did you feel like when you said that it was going to set you up for success, did you feel like in terms of just academically or in terms of what what was it that you were looking for around? Because I think it's such an interesting conversation or there's not a lot of discussion about those that choose to go. So you hear a lot about people that are maybe being sent there for this reason or another. But in terms of the benefits that you gain from it, you know, what would you say were the kind of the top few benefits that you got from being there? Teresa's new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. She writes about many epic fails throughout her career and how she learned from them so you don't have to. This book is full of cheat codes for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get that promotion, or being a first-time leader. As always, thank you, Relatable Community. We are so grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today, we are 15 countries strong. Now back to the show. good question the I think the biggest benefit was being exposed to people from a lot of different places Mm -hmm. I grew up in rural southern Virginia Um, everyone kind of looks one or two one of two ways um, there and and I was able to go to school with people from Poland and Germany and China and Thailand and and meet people from these different cultures so for me it wasn't for me it wasn't really the education piece it was more the this world knowledge piece um, and then the ability, excuse me, to individualize my education a little bit more instead of doing, you know, the state mandated curriculum. I was Mm -hmm. able to take classes like economics and astrology and, and, or astronomy, not astrology. I always do that too. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. Um, So I was able to take classes that were more piqued to my interests as Mm -hmm. opposed to kind of the 12 things that I could yeah. choose from. Were you uh, traditional, like, were you a good student? Did academics come easy to you? Or is that something that you had to work at? Um, academics were, were pretty easy for me. Okay. Yeah. So I, that, I did study a lot, but I worked, I worked hard for it, but I liked working hard for yeah. it. Yeah. So that's actually another question, just in terms of, like, it sounds like you're fairly driven and goal-oriented and, and directed in terms of knowing what you want and then going after it. What Where do you think that comes from is that some is that like how you have you always been that way did you have a role model that modeled that for you or is that something that just like you've kind of always had that inner drive oh that's a great question <laughs> um i i honestly think i was a little bit always like that mm-hmm. um, i'm an older sister so you know i kind of always was in the driver's seat yeah um but with that i can't remember a time in my life where I didn't have a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and even a 20-year plan even as young as like five years old I was like these are these are the things I'm going to do and they change obviously life happens but when they change I've always just had a new plan immediately and I don't I don't think I've modeled that or learned that I think that is just me (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome to have that so early I think some of us it takes us a little longer to kind of get there or to to have the clarity I think of like this is what I know will be fulfilling. And I think, you know, one thing that's interesting is, as you're talking in terms of your own experience, like thinking that this is what you like to do or that, I mean, obviously you had some experience when you're younger. It's a completely different thing to be running the program yourself. So 
would you say that your expectations have been met in terms of what you thought working in this environment would be like? Not, not necessarily Madeira specifically, but like in this kind of student type of environment or in the kind of camp industry. Is it what you thought it would be? Is it, you know, any surprises in terms of maybe good surprises or things that you, you know, weren't, weren't expecting? I think it's what I expected it to be. I don't think it was the journey I expected it to be. Um, I think it was a different path to get here than what I anticipated. But now that I'm in this role, uh, working within a school is an awesome way to be in the camping industry because I have a wider framework of support, mm-hmm. um, which is wonderful. But the job and the day-to-day, I think, is probably, yeah, is probably what I expected. When you're on in the summers, like, are you there? Like, do you stay there? (laughs) Is there a room for you there? I mean, are you commuting? Because I imagine those are, like, really full days that you're you're on early and you're on there late. They are, um, as as many as 16 hours sometimes. Yeah. I, last summer, did not stay on campus unless um, when unless we had a residential program happening. Um, last summer, we just had a one, two week residential program. So I stayed there for that duration. Uh, um, but for the rest of the time I commuted. Okay. Okay. Got it. And then in terms of like just your own journey to this point, some, you know, I'd like to ask people about whether there's events or people that have shaped them in a way that, that has made an impact, I think either on your trajectory or how you've kind of got to this point and and so I'm curious for you like because you certainly had unique circumstance like not the traditional path but you know what is it for you that you think it to this point has really shaped you or had an impact on you as you've gotten to this point in your role that's a great question I think the answer is twofold I, th- I can point out two kind of instances slash people uh, that had a huge impact and the first is um, my academic advisor in high school, which sounds weird, but we were very close. She and her husband have had a huge impact on me, on my leadership, and just on my development as a person. Um, And I think knowing them and having a close relationship with them is one of the things that made me confident confident enough in myself uh, to go after kind of a non-traditional career Mm -hmm. um, and and strive and, and accomplish it. The second is I worked at a camp that did not have where where I was not um, healthy and and, um, the environment was just not healthy for me or for other people and I was not doing my best work. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, the next year I went to a completely brand new camp for the first time, a camp that I didn't hadn't grown up at. And through that, realized that one, you should be happy where you work without an exception. And two, that your coworkers matter. And if, yeah, if yeah. you are not working with people who are rooting for you, um, you might not be performing your best and it, that it's okay to leave if that's the situation. Yeah, that's such a good lesson. I think so many people grind it out or they just stay somewhere because they think they're locked in or because they think they don't have other choices or, you know, there's always extenuating. Cert- it's, it's, it's hard to motivate to change um, mm-hmm. or to be uncomfortable if you want to are comfortable, <laughs> even if it's yeah. uncomfortable, right? Even if you're in a situation yeah. that isn't great. So the fact that you were able to see that, I, I agree that I think 
work, you know, has this connotation that's like, oh, and I think that if you find the thing you love to do and you get to um, collaborate and, you know, be with people that motivate you or are fun to be with or, you know, that just makes such a difference and it doesn't necessarily feel like work, you can actually enjoy what you're doing. Uh, it makes such a huge difference. And I feel like the fact that you had that experience early on, or at least knew the difference to say, mm-hmm. oh, this is why this is different or knew enough to leave a situation. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. And I think it gets a great reminder too, for, you know, regardless of where you are in your journey um, in terms of like tenure, there's always mm-hmm. that option of like, you know, there's other things out there if, if you're if you're not feeling it and if you feel like yeah. you're kind of stuck or you don't have that support for sure. Um, I think that's such a great, it's a great story. What about, um, in terms of the role that you're in now, and then maybe just the industry, since you have like your education, you're getting your master's and you think about people that are pursuing this type of work, like what, what advice do you have for them? Like, what is it that you think would be helpful for people that are pursuing this in terms of what would be helpful or what, what they should highlight in terms of their strengths, those kind of things? Well, networking is the first one. Um, In my undergraduate degree, they would, I think it was literal test test questions that we had that were like, what's the number one thing you need to do? And the answer was networking. For instance, I write handwritten thank you notes after any interview I have for any job I've ever applied for. And little things like that uh, stand out when you're Mm -hmm. an applicant and is 100% something to highlight. In addition to that, I think as practitioners of recreation, we love what we do so much. That's kind of a given. We are here because we love it. And because we love it and we love the impact that we have on kids and staff, we can be in unhealthy situations a lot of the time. And it's really easy to find yourself in that. So you need to advocate for yourself if you're in a position where you think you're being treated unfairly. And you need to make sure that you're keeping strict work, work-life balance as hard as it is. Mm. I know I just, just said I work 16 hour days, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but you've, you've got to have a balance there. You have to take rest when you need it. You need to take all of your vacation days. They're given to you for a reason. Take them because you are a person, um, who does this and this is not your entire identity. Yeah. I was, it's interesting. You maybe just think of another question around the intersection of like loving the people that, go into this field, everything you just described. And then you have this intersection of the business side of it or the, when you're running a program, it's very different than being staff in a program. And so tell me a little bit about that experience for you and how that's changed and how you kind of keep up that energy level. A huge learning curve um, for me this summer um, to kind of switch to be more business minded, customer service minded. One of the things I do is make sure that I set aside time or I try to set aside time in a week to go do the things I love. So to go hang out with kids or spend time with my staff and talk with them, because that is what I love doing. Mm. Um, I prioritize my staff. So if, you know, I have a staff issue happening, I'm going to take care of that uh, before I'm going to answer an email or a phone call. But the biggest thing is the support network that I've had with the Madeira School. Um, my supervisor has, I'm very transparent about my strengths and lack thereof. Um, and my supervisor has been able to meet me where I am and support me with the things that I struggle with. For instance, I am not the best, I've never budgeted for something like this before on the scale that we budget. I've met with the business office like four times already this year to 
talk about the budgeting process and for them to walk walk through it with me. So mm-hmm. I'm very much not alone in this. I'm not an island, uh, and I have kind of I make it make it a point to ask for help when I when I need it. Yeah, how that's awesome. And I feel like so many people in your position or even in your tenure feel like they should know because it's just I don't know what it is. Like I, I'm so much better now at my advanced age to say, mm-hmm. I don't know something. I felt like early in my career, I felt like this pressure to perform and to know, and like you hired me for a reason. And, you know, and so if I can't deliver on that, then then I'm exposed in some way. So the fact that you're so open and I think vulnerable in a way of saying, hey, this is what I do know, this is what I don't know. I think that's such a great quality. And I think people can really, learn from that. I guess, have you always been like that? Is that something that you're better at now? Yeah, that's, it's definitely learned. Yeah. Um, I, and and I, you said the word vulnerable, vulnerable, but to me, it's one of my biggest strengths and, and not that I am being vulnerable, but that I'm being real and transparent. Yeah. Um, yes. Literally yesterday we had a professional development seminar and we had to answer questions about conflict styles. And a lot of my colleagues, I heard the, you know, the, the phrase like, oh, if I was answering this in my personal life, it would be so different from what I answer professionally. And I don't know if it's because of my career field or because of my personality, but I am the same person um, across the board. Like this is this is me and my answers are the same regardless. And I think that that is a huge strength of mine. Um, I've never, I, well, once I learned that asking for help is a strength, yeah. uh, I have not hesitated once. And every time I've asked for help, it has been met positively. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, the curiosity that you want to understand and you want to, what I hear you saying is like, I'm, I'm meeting with the business office because you want to get it right versus I just don't know how to do it and somebody else do it for me or someone else fix it for me. It's actually, I don't have this skill. I haven't had an opportunity to practice it, but I want to know. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a lot of what I'm hearing for people that are managing others. Like some of their frustration is that people seem less inclined to want to figure it out. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it's yeah. like, just fix it. Or I don't necessarily have the, the resourcefulness or the interest or the drive to kind of get there myself. And I think that independence, like it goes back to you, um, like the fact that you said you've always been so independent, but also like you have a kind of inner drive to figure it out. I think that's yeah, gotta uh, yeah. serve you really well for sure. Um, ta- tell me a little bit about your um, your opportunity around or how you've been able to cultivate such a network because I think um, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times about it being so important. And I'm curious, There's there's a lot of, Obviously, there's a lot of info out there about how important it is and why it's important. Tell me how you've actually, you mentioned the handwritten notes. What else have you done to to cultivate that? And for you, I guess, how has it been important for you? Like, how has it uh, helped you to be successful to have a good network? We are busy scheduling relatable interviews for 2023, and we love our relatable community. If you or someone you know would be a good guest for Relatable, let us know. You can send an email to info at tfasoftskills.com. Include the potential guest name and contact information. Please send all suggestions to info at tfasoftskills.com. The 
that's almost hard to quantify. Yeah. I feel like in so many ways, you know, well, I'm an extrovert to a fault. I love talking with people. I love connecting. I love getting to know people. And that naturally is a benefit when, when it comes to networking. But I think I first started to see the advantages when I was applying for jobs and I felt like I could reach out to my professors and say, Hey, can you do this? And they knew my name and they were able because they knew my name, they were able to give me positive recommendations, which helped me get great jobs. But they knew my name because I would sit in class and participate. And I would talk to the people around me and I would study hard for exams and I would ask the professor questions. So I I was never limiting myself or holding myself back in class. And that's kind of what started it when when I was, that was where my network started. And then from there, I worked in, I've worked in amazing places with amazing people. And the number one thing I've done is just tell them what I want to do. Right. I I was working as a counselor and was like, Hey, I want to be a camp director one day. Can we like walk and talk and and having opportunities to walk and talk with directors of great camps and and being transparent with what I want and, Mm -hmm. and not like in a way that it's like, I'm comfortable asking, right. I'm I'm comfortable saying I want to be a director do you have any advice? And and that's been an awesome way to kind of build that network within the Madeira community. My number one thing was just show up, just keep showing up to things. Eventually you're going to be the person that shows up and people are going to start to ask you for help or start to, you know, ask you about yourself. And once you're, once you're there, you can, you can help, but you, you can't help if you're not there, right? You can't network if you don't go to class, you can't Mm. build a, professional relationship if you don't let them know that you want to do this professionally. So that's kind of how I Mm -hmm. I built that. Um, And just being kind. I mean, kindness is really important. So if I had a colleague who, you know, is understaffed in their department and they need help, you know, building admissions packets, then I'm going to go to the admissions department and I'm going to help stuff packets if I have a free hour and doing those kinds of things help build just a strong community um, and with a community then a network grows. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like it's such a good way of the example of, I think sometimes people have a false impression that for people that have a good network or you have a lot of connections that because you're extroverted, it's like, oh, it just becomes, it's just easy for you. It's easy for you to have a lot of friends because you can talk to anybody. And I think everything you just described, there's effort and intention in that. Mm -hmm. So there's effort in, showing up there's effort in making connection with teachers or the people around you there's effort in like even though you're extroverted it's not it doesn't like you don't just show up and it happens there's there's actual intent and i think the idea of staying late or um i know in one of my earlier jobs i was a campus recruiter and that was one of those jobs that like also seasonal and also there was tons of work to do all the time, like not just in your lane, but you could either help out another campus recruiter or you could be back in the office. You know, there's always something more you could be doing. And so the idea of like, this is my swim lane and this is what I'm doing and I'm only doing this thing. I mean, then you you lose out on those connections and the relationships. And so, and then it becomes too, the more you do it, people do it for you. And then there's there's like camaraderie in it. And then you get like war stories about being in the office till 10 p.m., stuffing boxes, whatever the thing is. But I think there's a lack of, I guess there's like a stereotype that isn't quite right. You know, that, that there is some effort that goes into it and there is like intention 
Uh, and then to your point around like those people have been there for you then when when you needed a recommendation or when you're trying to think about your next role or even I suspect when you're getting staff. Right? I mean, all those connections kind of sh- show up in a way you're like, oh, look at let me get out my Rolodex. That's an old term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. right? Or, I, yeah, I, I think it's important too to, to note that like there are days where I am just working eight hours and I'm going home yeah. and I'm not thinking about it. Like it's important to do both. Yeah. But if you want to advance, you have to go out of your comfort zone and you've, you've got to do a little bit more and whether or not that fits in your eight hour day, that's some, that's a decision that you have to make personally, right. but eight hour day, like you can do both. You can do both. You can have your strict eight hour days yeah. and you can spend a day helping somebody else out. Like, and you, you should do both, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it, there's like a balance. If it's if it's so over-indexed on the other, then and you're being a take advantage of, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but there is like a give and take to it in terms of mm-hmm. how those connections and I think the network can evolve. One of the things I'm interested in, and, and I know you had last summer and, and now you're probably even throughout the year, I'm curious in terms of what you see with your staff as opportunities like what do you see like two things that when you look at your staff because they're kind of the young young adults like two things that you see that make you really hopeful because i think you have access and you can sort of observe this next generation Mm -hmm. that i'm always fascinated by that like what do you see that's maybe different than your own that makes Mm -hmm. you hopeful i love that question the first is passion uh whether or not it's place the way you want it to be. The younger generations are, they're passionate. They know what they want and they know how to advocate for that. Sometimes it might not be the best advocation, right? But that's a growing opportunity to yeah. say, hey, let, like, I understand that you feel strongly. How about we we address it this way yeah. or, or do this? And the second, honestly, I don't, I don't even know if this is generation, if this is a camp thing, but so much joy. I think uh, the, the I young adults that. that we work with now are able to really appreciate how awesome it is to get to spend an entire day working with people your own age in person, right? They're having fun yeah. playing games and, and they find my staff, at least I got to see a lot of joy on their faces of just meeting each other and, and spending time together. And just those like simple things that are taken for granted. I think by those of us who, you know, had a kind of an adult life outside of, before the pandemic, these young adults coming coming up or are getting to experience uh, this community and a lot of times for the first time since they were yeah. you know since they had brains to think <laughs> <laughs> well and i think i just realized this as we were talking like i think it's so cool that you are seeing a lot of people in their first job and that's such a great opportunity to one have influence and impact on some how someone develops and how they develop a work ethic and what it means to have your first job. And then I suspect you have to have a lot of patience <laughs> because there's, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and there's still that frontal lobe is still developing. <laughs> and oh, yeah. so, right. And and so you must have to have a lot of patience, but also I, I love that there's probably a lot of enthusiasm and they haven't been too jaded yet. So that, that idea of kind of innocence and positivity, I love that. That's super cool. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure uh, to get to do. Um, you know, when we do interviews, we send out, we, or this summer, we're going to be sending out like an interv- interview skills guide. Just like, hey, here's what you should know for an yeah. interview. And I usually start my interviews with my, especially with my younger 
staff be like, all right, here's what you're like, what to expect here. Like you're going to, you should ask me questions at the end. If you have any, like, here's, here's what's going to happen because I want you to be able to do this well, um, even if it's not for me, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think being a part of that experience for someone, not making it scary, it's a conversation, you like all the things, I think it's so important. What would you say, because I think you know, and I mentioned at the top of the interview, but just from a soft skills perspective, so I feel based on my own experiences and as I've evolved in my career, even before pandemic really, you know, reason I left corporate America is I saw so much opportunity for people to develop soft skills because there's so much time and energy spent on the technical discipline of what they're learning, whether it's a trade or whether it's mathematics or it's consulting, like whatever the thing is that you do. We all spend a lot of time developing and strengthening that, right? Getting schooled, if you will, in that discipline. And then I think for a lot of people, there isn't a lot of emphasis on communication, influence, collaboration, um, you know, listening. So, you know, for you and your role or what you're seeing, or even in your own journey, if you had to pick two soft skills that are really important to you that you think are necessary to be successful, mm-hmm. what what would they be? I love that question. The first is collaboration. I think if any of my summer staff are listening, they will know that I said that word at least once a day. Yeah. Um, I very much believe that we can do it better than I can. And I tried to live that and show my staff that and hope that they work that way as well. If you if you want to work with people, you need to be able to work with people mm-hmm. and, and value each other's ideas and, and understand that your way of seeing things is only one way of seeing things and that there's, you know, as a million different ways to see to see one thing and when you collaborate together and you do it together the end result is almost always better even if it took a little bit longer to get there yeah the second is communication you need to be able to advocate for yourself and you need to be able to understand when something's big enough of a problem to make it a, a problem and understand when something's more of something you, you just need to let go and and be able to communicate your thoughts and feelings and talk with each other problem solve and and get to know those around you like there's no nothing that communication can't help Mm -hmm. what do you see then in terms of like I I had asked you the two things you're most hopeful about what what do you see as some opportunities then for the staff that you employ or even I mean maybe even in your own professional path to this point What, what do you think I know I have my version of that but where do you see as some opportunities where you feel like there's some gaps on the where people could strengthen I think communication is, yeah. is probably one of them. Yeah. I think with young people specifically, it can be hard to understand how to approach a situation in a professional environment. And, you know, camp is a more relaxed, casual professional environment, but those skills are are something that you, you need to take into whatever job, whether you're working at Starbucks or, you know, for a big accounting firm or for Amazon, like you, you need to be able to understand a problem and communicate it effectively to your supervisor, to your peer, to whoever. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a big area of growth um, for, for young people now. Another, I don't know if I can think of another off the top of my head, Um, maybe something along the lines of self perspective, self kind of awareness. um, Yeah. Self, yeah. Self awareness and understanding your influence and, and yeah. the impact that you might have had in a situation. Yeah. One of the things that we get to do in some of our workshops with young adults is to to really get them to start thinking about how do they show up? Because I, I think 
they don't really ever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some of us that maybe have a little bit more of that introspective gene that, that are kind mm -hmm. of built that way. But I do think some of these eighth and ninth graders that we're talking to, it's the first time that they're maybe really being asked to like, think about themselves in this different type of way in an, in an analytical way of like, how do you show up? And how do you, what is your conflict style? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. how do you communicate? And what are the, you know, and how do you communicate compared to your peers or your teachers or your coaches? You know, you start to sort of see yourself relationally to other people. Yeah. And I think, obviously, I, I think I think of communication as like the superhero of soft skills, because I feel like it's really anchored in that, like in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, if that's, if you can do that well, uh, and you know how to interact with people and communicate with people effectively like you're off to the races and the other stuff comes to you know comes to follow so for yourself this is a consistent question that we ask in the podcast because i feel like we get such a great variety of answers i think you know given where you are at this point in your tenure and your career and the journey that you've had to this point what advice would you give young Meriwether in terms of to make this path <laughs> a little easier or yeah. maybe not necessarily massive change, right? But but is there anything that you would do if you were giving counsel to that younger version of yourself, what you might tell her? Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, two, th I, yeah. I, two things come to the top of my head. Yeah. The first is to take a step back, think about it for a second, breathe. I um, have always been the kind of person to just dive head first, think later. Um, and that is not the best uh, way to be about a lot of things. Uh, so take a step back. It's generally not that serious. It's generally not that deep. Um, you're probably thinking about it more than anyone else is. The second is leave. When you should be happy where you work and talking to past me, you will be happy where you work. Mm -hmm. So leave and find the places that fulfill you and that align with your values and your mission and who you are and who you want to be. Mm -hmm. Tell me just a little bit about that in terms of the fear or the risk that you take by doing that. So people that are listening might say, yeah, that's easy to say, but hard to do. How have you been able to push through that? Good question. I think unfortunately for me, the answer is that I just hit the breaking point. Mm -hmm. um, and so there were was not really an option <laughs> any longer for me. But now, after having learned those lessons, mm -hmm. I understand that there are more people rooting for you than rooting against you. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're not happy in a situation, you shouldn't be there and you're not going to do your best work there. So if you are trying to do the right thing, to me, the right thing is to be the best version that you can be and to do the best work that you can do. And you can't do that if you are staying in a, in a situation where you are unable to work to your full potential. So by leaving, you're doing the right thing. And that mm -hmm. is kind of a way to to rationalize it and think through it. But it's a, it is is 100% hard to do. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I just, I wrote a book recently and the one of the things I talk about is the knowing when to leave. Mm -hmm. And that we make it so hard sometimes. Like I've been on the other side of the table as an HR person. I've sat in a lot of conversations having to push people out of an organization versus if they had gotten there on their own, it would have been on their terms pursuing what they want to do. And I think there's just this resistance like to force the hand of the other person either way. And so that self-awareness that you were talking about of like, 
does this feed me? Am I supported? Do you know, are the things like whatever those like check boxes are for you? And then what's the plan? And I think I'd be remiss too, if I didn't say like, if you are somewhere and you're unhappy, like, is there someone you can talk to about change? Can you change the environment? Can you change something about what you're doing that would make it, you know, it isn't maybe leaving. It isn't always the, like, you have to leave, but what needs to change in order to make it better? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that's a that's a good point that leaving doesn't need always have to be physically leaving. It can be leaving a situation, <laughs> yeah. right? Like it can yeah. be leaving a conversation. It can be leaving yeah. a conflict and saying, okay, this is no longer helping. This is no longer helpful. Let's bring in somebody else or, yeah. or I'm at the point where I need help. Let me go see what we can do. But, and, and that can, you could consider that leaving. Yeah, you know? that's true. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And then one last question I just thought of before I let you go is around like your hopes, just because you're about to embark on the summer and you know, it's, it's, well, not just, you have a few months, but it's coming, right? It's going to be here before you know it. What are your hopes for this next summer in terms of the program? Like what, what are your goals and hopes that if you kind of are structuring it ideally, what, what's going to happen for you to meet those? Like what, what do you want it to be? Oh, great question. So this summer is uh, the 50th birthday <gasps> of our biggest camp, Camp Greenway. Congratulations. Um, so, yes, it's very, very exciting. Um, so we are, I hope that it's going to be a, a big celebratory year. I hope that this summer I'll be able to continue to increase my connections with mm-hmm. our parents, with our campers, with our staff and with the Madeira community um, as a whole. That would that would be the number one thing that would make the summer successful um, for me beyond all of the normal kids have fun, kids are safe <laughs> after that. <laughs> right, right. Um, is increasing those connections and making a network of parents and of staff and campers and, and getting to watch them grow up in the coming years. Yeah, that's fantastic. I am so grateful for your time. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. And I just think your perspective and also your path to, to doing what you love is so cool. And the fact that you're able to do something that you early on identified as a real passion and and that you were saying, you know, you had a version of what your profession should be and the fact that you stayed true to who you are and now you're in this great opportunity around a great community. It just seems like that follow your your heart in terms of your, you know, true interests seems to have really served you well. And then you get to have both, right, where you can love what you're doing and and it's work at the same time. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your time. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Meriwether for coming on the show and sharing your valuable experiences and insight into how you've navigated your education and career journey. I loved hearing about how you landed a role as a camp director early in your career and your thoughts on the value of vulnerability in the workplace. I appreciate your helpful tips around networking, how you learn to balance your work and personal life, and why collaboration is useful in building community at your workplace. 
Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for your support. A huge thank you to our relatable community for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.